Welcome to Young Adult at Heart, Great YA Reads for All Ages, part of the Camden County Library family of podcasts. I'm Kristen, and with me is... I'm Ryan. And today we are presenting The X-Files Origins, Agent of Chaos by Cami Garcia. And Ryan is going to read a description. I am. In 1979, 17-year-old Fox Mulder is a senior at Wilson High School in Washington, D.C., when young children in the area start to go missing, Mulder sees similarities to the disappearance of his own sister and is determined to do what he can to help solve the case. With the help of friends Phoebe and Gimble, he uncovers what could prove to be the missing clue needed to bring a wanted serial killer to justice. So two weeks ago, we read Devil's Advocate. And that this was so much better. <laughs> yeah, this was definitely a more enjoyable read for me as well. Some would argue that Mulder is just a better, more interesting character to begin with. But I thought it was written so much better, too. Everything about it was better. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I guess we can keep saying the same thing. I liked it better, too. So um, perhaps we should get into the, the whys. <laughs> uh. <laughs> we liked it. Podcast over. Yeah. <laughs> um, the end. Next, yeah. next song. <laughs> so there was really only one main character in this book. It was uh, Fox Mulder. And as Ryan said, he's 17 years old, and um, it's five years after his sister was abducted. Is it five? I thought it was seven. Maybe she was five. It was five five to seven years. Maybe she was seven. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was a seven. It might have been the age of the sister. That might have been the time elapsed. She was eight. I'm not sure. Was she eight? They were all eight, all the kids. I think it says it was like... 1,952 days or something because he's measuring out on a yardstick, which... Are you going to calculate it? I was going to try, yeah. Okay, so while Ryan calculates, um, Fox, uh, his sister went missing. I think you're right, it's five. Thank you. And his... I did finish it this morning, so it's really fresh in my brain. And once again, you've, you've got me there. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I just lost what I was going to say. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, we were talking about it's been five years since his sister disappeared. Uh, Mulder's the main character. Yes. Okay. So his parents are separated. Um, his mom encourages Mulder to go and move in with his dad, who lives in D.C. He works for the State Department. His dad is just absent all the time. His dad is uh, uh, constantly writing him to go to Georgetown. He doesn't want to go to Georgetown. Um, that was interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it was just another point of conflict. There was, it was not really a, a chummy relationship that he had with his father, but his dad was also almost always out on some assignment for the State Department, so he's in like New Mexico or something. Probably doing some new errand. Yeah, Los Alamos. Um, so we have Fox, and then we had a decent amount of um, side characters. Gimbal, you meet first. Right. And uh, that's his friend from high school, and actually, Gimbal's dad was my favorite. I, I also I also enjoyed the major. The major. Um, I guess, yeah, we can talk about him a little bit later. But he was he was he was interesting. I I feel like he was kind of the at least in this story the the genesis for a lot of what Mulder becomes yeah. later. Like he really kind of introduces Mulder to the whole just underground conspiracy genre network, I don't know what you'd, you'd call it, but that whole mindset that I think Mulder kind of ad adopts later on in the show with, yeah. like, yarn on pins on walls and, like, connecting the dots. He really seemed like a, a precursor to, to what Mulder would become later. And as over the top as the major was, like, I liked that Mulder was able to, like, pick out, like, the important stuff mm -hmm. to solve the case that he was working on as a 17-year-old. Right. Uh, the, the Major definitely was one of those, like, obviously crazy characters, but maybe not actually crazy kind of characters, yeah. and then turns out probably not actually crazy, but then in some ways, yes, still actually crazy. He was a good time. <laughs> he, was, he was usually, uh, I guess, entertaining when he was uh, on the page. It's, you know, I feel like because, like, you know, I grew up with the X-Files, like, I'm used to shows or books with like conspiracy theories so if this takes place in the 70s it might have been like a really new concept to Mulder like what is all this craziness where like 
I feel like we wouldn't even bat an eye. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair point. Like it, it's kind of like we were talking about with the the yoga last time. Like maybe it was just a. I feel like you want to say something. I was thinking about the bottled water when the major gives him a bottle of water, and he's like, oh, "Who does yeah. this? <laughs> Who puts bottle water in bottles?" <laughs> and I have a bottle of water right next to me. <laughs> he's like, "This is European." Yeah, <laughs> it was great. Uh, yeah, kind of going on that. I I think that this book did a little more than the last one to place itself in the seventies. Yeah. Um, I, I liked the the multiple scenes in the car where they're trying to navigate with like a map and it's like yeah. no GPS obviously is like a thing and it was just kind of funny because it's like huh that's totally not a thing that would ever happen today Mm-mm. where they're struggling with a map and they're like trying to like shine a flashlight on it or use the the interior light of the car and trying to find some town that's not even on the map. <laughs> well, uh, we'll talk about that later because uh, that was in Crager and I totally googled Crager, Maryland. But is it real? No, but if you search it, the second and third hit brings up X-Files, um, like, wiki. Oh, so is that, like, deep lore from the show, or is that just because of the books? I got, I, it came up for the show, but I was having trouble finding, like, why, except for season three, episode two, they go to Charlotte's Diner, which was in this book. Okay. Oh, yeah, that little dumpy thing on the roadside? It looks like a house. Okay. Yeah, see, I guess if you're, like, a true aficionado, there were probably more Easter eggs in here than I picked up on. Yeah. Um, like I was like, oh, they said the truth is out there. That's X Files. That's that's about as deep as my my Easter egg hunting went. There is. Um, so in the last book we read, there were agents following Dana Scully around, and in this book, there are agents following Mulder around. Um, it's more the Smoking Man, but it's also Agent X, who is also from the show. Is that where the X Files come from? Mm, the, the name? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, because. I remember, like, in the first episode, like, he's working on the X-Files, but this guy just happened to be X. He was, like, their, um, like, their deep throat, kind of human information. Yeah. Covertly. I, I liked some of the scenes that he was in a little bit later, and I, I guess we can we can talk about that when we talk about some of the scenes. Yeah. Um, he seemed to have a much, at times, more impactful role than the agents that were watching Scully, but... He also got a lot less screen time, yeah. which was weird because, like, the sorry, the, the agents that were were monitoring Scully, like, they had multiple chapters devoted to their perspective, but they barely did anything that interacted with Scully. Yeah. Whereas X only got a couple chapters, but was actually more directly involved in the the escapades of the the Fox group. I almost wonder if it's because the Smoking Man had more of an active interest. It could in Fox. I mean, I think you mentioned that last time that Fox was all or Mulder was always his favorite or whatever. Yeah, the Smoking Man yeah. preferred Mulder, so maybe that's uh, that's this just kind of playing out. Yeah, because um, the Smoking Man told tells X like, follow him, don't be seen. You can help a little bit if needed, and I didn't realize so much later he actually X does help a little bit. I won't mention the scene, but I was like, oh, oh yeah, like for Nathan. I didn't realize it when I read it that he was at this scene. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? I think I do, and I was I was going to mention it as one of the scenes that I liked. Oh, cool. So that's fine. Should I not mention it? No, you totally mentioned it. But just later. Yeah, because we've got other things to talk about. Okay, cool. Like, so they'll never even know. People yeah, won't know. Like ma- main characters and side characters. Yeah. Um, we haven't talked about Phoebe yet. <laughs> you did not like Phoebe. <laughs> I have her as things I did not like about the book. Oh, really? Why? <laughs> what? What was your What was your beef with Phoebe? She was so perfect. She was like Mary Sue. Do everything, Barbie. Like, let me tell you about my four languages because I speak, and I'll also talk to you in Elvish, and let me fix your toaster oven and your car while I'm putting my hair in pigtails. In Princess Leia buns. And I'm perfect. And I could have gone to MIT when I was 15 because that's how smart I am. But no, I don't like you. She's okay. perfect. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Phoebe. Not that I didn't really feel strongly about her, but um, I, I, can see, I can see where you're coming from. She kind of had a, a solution to everything. And there was also a Phoebe in the show. Oh, was that like a past flame of a? Uh, there was a love interest um, named Phoebe who was in the show for an episode, but they hadn't. Um, they'd met when he went to Oxford, so I thought that was kind of annoying. That oh, that they actually in this met before Oxford. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, w- that was just annoying to me as a fan. Did you, while we're talking about uh, his cohorts, did you like Gimbal? I 
did. Did you not like him? I was a little mixed on on Gimbal. I, at first, I was like, okay, oh, this guy he likes Star Trek. He plays Dungeons and Dragons. He likes Star Wars. It's like, okay, I maybe that hit a little close to home. But then I started to feel like he was really just constantly being defined by like, I'm the guy that plays Dungeons and Dragons yeah. and has a Star Wars shirt. And I was like, he didn't really do much else aside from make comments about how cool Dungeons and Dragons was. I'm the quirky best friend. Yeah, I, I felt like maybe he was a little too heavy handedly like, hey guys, I'm that nerd that plays D&D. &D. And, and maybe, I don't know, that maybe, maybe I'm just, you know, trying to find something that's not really there, but it started to get a little, it started to wear a little thin after a while. His only purpose might have been just to introduce the readers to his dad. That's, that's true. And if that was the case, then it was, it was worthwhile because he wasn't like onerous, but I just thought after a while it was like, what is, what is he doing here necessarily aside from like waving Dungeons and Dragons pamphlets around and talking about, you know, going on quests and Farrah so. Fawcett. Well, yeah, they, they had a bond over Farrah Fawcett, uh, Mulder and uh, Gimbal did. Um, but at the same I'm not sure. At the same time, I was like, I, I can appreciate that. Like, I play Dungeons and Dragons. I watch Star Wars. I watch Star Trek. So I, I feel like he was probably written to be sort of like the high school me, maybe. Yeah. And maybe that's why I'm like, oh, I have a problem with him. I also feel like he sets you more into the decade, right? He felt more like '70s pop culture. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's 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 fair. He was he was kind of a window into, I guess maybe a window into like what somebody like me would have been into in the '70s, which is apparently not much different than what somebody like me would have been into in like the '90s or the 2000s. 17s. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I liked him more than Phoebe. Yeah, well, I, I I got that. Yeah. Um, I was I was I wanted to to know what your your thoughts on that were though I was, I was a little curious if you thought it was a little you know over over the top with with anything with, with Gimbal or if he if he seemed fine to you he just seemed to me like a quirky best friend maybe a little bit of a voice of reason but mostly just hey here's my dad yeah now you and my dad are gonna be best friends yeah now that you mentioned I think he may have primarily been just an introduction for the, for the major. Yeah. Um, he didn't have a really big role in the book, not to the very, very end, but uh, Agent Ressler, who worked for the FBI. Oh, yeah, the guy that uh, debriefs Mulder uh, at the very end. Yeah. Is he part of the show? No. Um, so, you know, spoiler alert, Mulder, like, you know, solved the case. Oh, um, who knew? <laughs> yeah, who? And uh, he has to go into the FBI um, headquarters to be interviewed, and he meets with an agent wrestler who is a behavioral specialist. Yeah, he profiles yeah. criminals, basically. And um, Which I guess was, like, new at the time because Mulder acted like he hadn't heard of profiling before, so mm -hmm. maybe, that, maybe that was a technique that was developed in the 70s. I don't know enough about FBI history, and I didn't look it up. No serial killers, yeah. Um, it just—it was interesting because in this book, and even in um, The Devil's Advocate, the police are kind of like a joke. Like, the police don't take anyone... The local police. Yeah, they don't yeah. take anyone seriously, which I kind of felt like that's how X-Files, the TV show was. Like, the police are always like, oh, probably a um, satanic cult. <laughs> and then the FBI comes in, and it's like, no, it's this. So... You have these police officers that won't take anyone seriously because they're kids, and then here comes the FBI, and suddenly Mulder and this agent, they're bonding, and this sort of sets Mulder up in his future career. But whereas with Scully, like I felt like everything about hers was so forced. Like I hated my experience with these people. I'm only going to focus on math and science. I felt like... Mulder's future sort of came about like more organically over the course of the book. Yeah, I mean there was definitely a payoff because he he did all this research and I guess ended up writing this profile for for the serial killer and the FBI was like, "Hey, good job. Come see me when you need a job." Basically, yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, go to Oxford if you want to study psychology. Yeah. And he's like, "Okay, screw you, Dad. I hate Georgetown." And I guess that's how he ends up at Oxford. Um, yeah, that, I think it's a it's a good point that you brought up about the uh, the police 
being hapless. It, it's a little like, uh, have you seen the movie Hot Fuzz? Yes! <laughs> In both of these cases, they're like, oh, it was an accident. And they're like, oh, murder. <laughs> I love that movie. It's a good movie. Um, but yeah, the, the police are, are kind of hot fuzzy in both of these books. I, I, it probably it's probably as annoying if you're like a, a cop reading a book as it is to see like oh you know, the negative depiction of a librarian. Yeah. It probably gets old if you're a police officer and you're like, of course the local police are incompetent. Why wouldn't we be? Kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, maybe it maybe it's just easier narrative. I don't know. But it it does seem to be a recurring thing. Especially, it's funny when you when you read. Like an FBI book, the police always seem incompetent. But if you read a book and it's like about a local like police officer, suddenly the, the, the FBI reverse, or yeah. the, like the big bad and <laughs> they're always coming to take over the investigation yeah, and they, yeah. they don't know what the hell they're doing yeah. and so out of touch with the ground. Obviously this book was written very pro FBI. That makes sense because Mulder, you know, joins the FBI eventually. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um. If you haven't seen the show. <laughs> Is there anyone else you want to mention? Uh, in terms of characters, I, I mean, I guess we could we could mention. Uh, we sort of already talked about Mulder's dad, yeah. uh, Bill. I think Bill Mulder. Yeah. He's like really hardcore, absent, like almost always out of the apartment. Says he's going to be back on Tuesday, and then calls and says actually it'll be Friday, and then it's like actually turns out it's Saturday. Yeah. Um, as I said before, he just really has a pretty adversarial relationship with Mulder, it seems like. Uh, they just don't get along since uh, Samantha disappeared. Mulder thinks that um, his dad blames him for Samantha's disappearance. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was something with sunflower seeds. I actually is, wrote that down. Is that a thing yes. in the show? Yes. Okay, because I was like, this is weird that they keep talking about sunflower seeds, and I feel like I'm supposed to know something about sunflower seeds, but I just didn't. He, in the show, he's Bob Mulder is always eating sunflower seeds. Okay, I did not know that. Um, but it, it was, uh, I guess I was kind of expecting there to be more because there were at least three references to sunflower seeds, like how his dad leaves a mess yeah. eating sunflower seeds, how... Gimbal didn't leave a mess? Yes, how Mulder did not like sunflower seeds, but all of a sudden he likes them. So I guess I was, uh, I was waiting for a conspiracy about that. Yeah, I, I felt like that was kind of like when I was trying to track the Star Wars references in the Scully book, mm -hmm. where I was like, oh, there's there's going to be a thing here, and then they just stopped happening. It was kind of like that with sunflower seeds. Yeah. It was like, okay, there's something with sunflower seeds, and then it was like, no, never mind. We haven't we haven't heard mention of it for the last entire half of the book. I guess we're done with sunflower seeds. Yeah, I, I think I have... I have a lot of post-its in this one, and I think three of them are references to sunflower seeds. Um, there was also... We could talk about Earl Roy. Oh, okay. He was an interesting character um not quite but sort of the angelo of this book i felt like where it was like early evidence points to to him and he's not entirely guilt-free certainly but he's not quite the mastermind that Mulder thinks he is at first mm -hmm. um so he's the bad guy he's he's the visible bad guy yeah. there's we think uh, an invisible manipulating hand behind earl roy but he's kind of I don't know. He's like a high school dropout, I think, and like he had a lot of odd jobs, and he's like a loner who lives in the woods. And Mulder thinks that he's the one who's behind the child abductions. Um, I forget why. Oh, they go to they go to a meeting at Beyond Beyond, and that I think you want to talk about later. Yeah, we, I, we can talk. Uh, we can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they go to some like occult meeting at Beyond Beyond, and they figure out that this guy got kicked out of the, the group because he was a little too hardcore about the being an agent of chaos, mm -hmm. which I suppose maybe we can go into the the derivation of, of that. Yeah. Um, the agent of chaos comes from a book called Stormbringer, which is a real book. We have these. Uh, we actually, unfortunately, don't have Stormbringer. No. We have more by that author, and we have more with that character. Mm -hmm. um, that's not entirely true. We do have it on Hoopla as a graphic novel. Okay. Um, I was thinking about actually uh, making that my read-alike suggestion, but it's it's definitely not a YA thing. I don't think it matters. Mine's adult. Okay. Well, I, I, I went in another direction anyway, but that'll be a bonus read-alike. If you do want to read about uh, Elric, uh, who is the main character that wields Stormbringer, which is a sword, um, we do have the graphic novel on Hoopla. It's called like Elric something or other. If you just search for Elric, I'll you'll find it. I'll link it onto our website. 
All right, so anyway, yeah. Um, the Agent of Chaos comes from this um, Michael Moorcock story, Stormbringer, uh, where there's some cosmic struggle between law and chaos. And I, I, I kind of think that one of the reasons that Dungeons and Dragons played such a big role is because I think that the early alignment system was in part influenced by the um, the book. So you've got like law, neutrality, and chaos. I don't know how familiar you are with Dungeons and Dragons. I'm seeing a shaking of the head, indicating not very familiar at all. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to go too far into that, but I, I wonder if that's why they were so pushy with the, the Dungeons and Dragons theme, because the law versus chaos versus neutrality is is a kind of a big thing when you're you know creating characters in in Dungeons and Dragons. So anyway, um, this book, Stormbringer, by Michael Moorcock. Uh, Gimbel's dad is obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Gimbel's mother was reading it, and she never finished it before she died by driving her car off of a bridge, which may or may not have been well. Accurate. Yeah. Uh, his yeah. The major thinks that it was it was murder aliens. to cover up aliens because he found out about the aliens. Um, so anyway, in this in this book, there is a a character called Elric who wields a sword called Stormbringer, and the sword is an agent of chaos. There is a corresponding agent of law. The sword is called uh, Mornblade. Um, and later on in the book, you find out that Earl Roy, who is this guy that's been abducting kids, believes that he is the agent of chaos, or that he is at least working. He's the protector of the agent. Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah the, well, there's, the, the, there's some guy called the Eternal Champion in the oh, book. Okay. And I think he's the protector of the Eternal Champion. Okay. And he believes that the agent of chaos, which is Stormbringer, is hiding inside of small children. And that's why he's abducting the children, uh, so he can get this sword for the Eternal Champion, so the Eternal Champion can wield the sword and bring order to the cosmos. And I think there's speculation that the guy who's been pulling his strings considers himself to be an agent of law, because he's he's presented as kind of like a Dexter character, where he goes after um, criminals and he's he's kind of murdering the bad guys, mm-hmm. um, so I, I and he's always off screen. Yeah. Like the agent of law, if that's what he considers himself to be, is supposed to be Earl Roy's brother, they think. Um, but he's he's definitely presented as like a kind of like a Dexter righteous serial killer kind of guy who's trying to bring order to, to chaos. It was a really interesting, like bad guy, right? Like, it, I felt like there were so many more. Layers to it, better than sunlight. Yeah, better than sunlight. Who just you know thought he was creating a door to the Nephilim. Although, I guess equally as deluded, like definitely in both books, the the main bad guy has been like seriously delusional. Mm-hmm. But I like I liked him better. I, li- <laughs> I liked how squeamish he was about blood. I just thought he was a more interesting villain um and i liked all of the stormbringer references in this book like i actually wanted to go and read it yeah i sent it really cool i i also did a little bit of of looking into it because i i haven't read any anything by michael moorcock um i I, we yeah we have we have a couple of them but it, it was kind of an interesting thing that they used to to kind of tie all the different conspiracies together um so yeah i liked it so that was the last character, I guess, that I thought was worthy of mention. Okay. Was Earl Roy, the agent of chaos, or the eternal champion's protector? Maybe both. You decide. <laughs> All right. So interesting things about this book that we haven't already talked about. I feel like our conversation has been kind of wide ranging, and we've already we've already touched on most of the things. I can just mention that I like. I liked Mulder's backstory. Um, you know, I had mentioned a couple podcasts ago when we read Optimus Die First. Like, there are certain, like, things I don't like to read about. And children dying is one of those things. Like, that's just something that I have trouble with. And this is a book with young children that are dying. But I thought they did a really good job of showing how Mulder, I guess, projected all of the issues he had with not being able to help his sister into like obsessing and finding Sarah Lowe, who's this little girl that goes missing. And it really showed how he developed into like the adult that he is. Like, you know, 
obsessive conspiracy hound. Yes, yes. But he wants to do right. Like if he can't help his sister, he's going to help other people. And I but, just I thought it was just really interesting how he like affects his family differently. I think that they established early on as well that he's definitely not content to, I guess, believe the status quo. Mm -hmm. Like, they talk about how, despite the fact that he has a photographic memory, is that a thing in the show? Yes. Okay. Despite the fact that he has a photographic memory, he still, like, I don't know, didn't do well on a history test mm -hmm. because he didn't just regurgitate what was in the history book because he didn't think it was true or something like that. So he definitely demonstrated early on, like, yes, I know what the teacher wanted me to say, but I don't believe that that's actually true, yeah. so therefore I'm going to, to dig deeper and, you know, the truth is out there kind of a thing, and not that, you know, whatever the the common belief, the, the mainstream view of things, he tends to reject that. He's also, he's an insomniac, and in the show, he doesn't have a bedroom for the first several seasons because he doesn't sleep Ever? in bed. Or just catches catches uh, winks where he can on yeah, the, the on chair. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty pretty serious insomniac. It is. He uses his bedroom as like storage <laughs> until somebody else takes over his body and then puts a water bed in his room. That was that was actually a fun episode. Okay. Um. <coughs> uh, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, I I was just gonna. I don't know. Interesting parts of the book. I the the stuff that I wrote down. As I said, we kind of already touched on. I I, I like the major. I like that he was kind of like a crazy conspiracy nut yeah. who turned out not to actually be crazy, mm -hmm. but then in some ways was definitely still crazy. Yes. Um, so he was he was a fun character. Um, I liked all the the references to like, I guess what now would be called geek geek culture, mm -hmm. like you know Star Wars. There was like a Star Trek versus Battlestar Galactica scene. I had that written down too. Um, yeah, the Dungeons and Dragons. So I was like, yeah, I I, I feel that. I feel like that kind of speaks to to me. On some level, it's funny when we read *Devil's Advocate* and um, Dana's dad calls her Starbuck. I was like, "Oh, Battlestar!" And they were like, "Oh, no, <laughs> actually, Moby Dick." Like, actually, oh, no, yeah, Moby Dick. I don't want a Moby Dick reference. I want a Battlestar Galactica reference. So I liked that it was actually brought up, not Starbuck, but that the mm. show was brought up in this book. I feel like it felt more seventies, yeah, ish than the other one. I, I I agree, and it didn't necessarily beat you over the head with it, but it no. threw in enough things that were clearly dated. That VCRs, VCRs, like you know, Phoebe's coming from the airport. When's she going to show up? I have no idea. Yeah. Whenever she gets here, yeah. I don't know. She's flying. I can't talk to her. So um, things like that. As I mentioned, the ma navigating with a map instead of using GPS. Mulder's mom tries calling at one point, and she'd been calling forever, and he wasn't home to answer the phone. Yeah, and he's he feels really bad about it. it blows my mind not having a cell phone. It's it's definitely it's a different different way to live. Yeah. I uh, I also like that all the interesting things happened in Craigor, Maryland. Like that's where Scully's book is set. I yeah I feel like. It was definitely good to read them in this order mm -hmm. because I felt like there was a lot more in this book that referenced the the Scully book than there was in the Scully book that referenced this book. Like there was maybe a vague mention of of Mulder being <gasps> surveilled, yes. and I don't even remember that scene. I know that you oh I do. You'll talk about that, but then like in, in this book, they they spend in multiple chapters in Krager interacting with some of the the key characters from Devil's Advocate, like Corinda, Sunlight, Sunlight Angelo. I think Dana. Is that Dana? Yeah. There's one, there's a scene where they're in Beyond Beyond, and Angelo says something about, like, you know, chill your vibe out, man. This is a, a relaxing place. Mm -hmm. And then there's, like, a skittish girl next to him who says something like, yeah, don't be crazy. Oh, and I, was her? I thought that was Dana. Interesting. There was also a mention who I thought was Dana's sister, Melissa, because they talk about a girl sitting in the booth behind the cash register, and that's where Melissa and Dana always sat. So I think that Melissa and Dana were in Beyond Beyond when Mulder and Phoebe and Gimble go into Beyond Beyond. I was looking for them, but I did not notice. So I think I let me see if I wrote the page, and I'll I'll try and try and find the that actual. It makes me happy if they were there. I kind of wanted them book. to be there. I think that they were. Uh, last time we podcasted, I mentioned the scene where Dana was being surveyed. Under surveillance? Surveilled. Surveilled? I liked it. Um, 
and yeah, yeah surveyed would be like they're taking their coordinates on a map <laughs> I got nothing um and there's all these different teams being watched and there was a teenager like making out with a girl and I was like oh that's totally if, if it's if it's if any of them were Mulder, that was going to be Mulder, and it was totally Mulder making out. I don't remember that specifically, but I believe you. The towel was more interesting. I would have been happier if. Um, I want to believe. The kid with the towel. I was Mulder. Like, why won't this towel move? <laughs> I actually went back too to look and see if maybe Gimble was being watched because of his dad, but. I feel like that would have been a notable like you would have noticed if it was the major's house. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it looks like. 174 is the page. I'll, I'll just read yeah, briefly. So uh, let's see. Mulder and Phoebe are arguing um, out because he's pissed off because she was uh, interacting with sunlight in a way that apparently all women interact with sunlight. And Everyone Mul loves sunlight. Mulder didn't, didn't appreciate it. So that he, and, he and Phoebe are kind of um, arguing. And then um, someone says, uh, sorry to interrupt, said a Latino guy standing behind them. Angelo. Angelo obviously, bad. yeah. But this is a peaceful space. You don't want to argue in here. A skittish girl next to him nodded and whispered, sunlight wouldn't like it. Mulder stared at them in disbelief. So I, I thought that the skittish girl was probably Dana. Um, not that she was necessarily skittish, but she was kind of passive and reserved, and it would have made sense to me that she was hanging out near Angelo. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone else hung out with Angelo because he was always kind of persona non grata, mm -hmm. except for Scully kind of liked him. Mm -hmm. So for those reasons, I was like, that's probably a, a Scully nod. Oh. I mean, it doesn't say a skittish redhead, yeah, which would have been even more obvious. But I was looking for a redhead. That was that was what I thought was the, the Scully reference. And then there's another one where, as I said, I think her her sister Melissa is referenced because there's a girl sitting in the the booth behind the register, or, or maybe that one was Scully. I don't know, but I I feel like Scully was in there. Was it? He was there. Yeah, I, I, as I said, I want I want to believe. Um, oh, what are we? We're just talking about random things that we liked yeah, or I interesting. So I like last time where Scully just went into a house, Mulder again. Yep, yep. I have that written down. Goes as well. into a house. That's, you can tell that they're going to be great partners. Just go into this house. You stay outside. I'll go in the house. Yeah, there's like the. It's the middle of the night. There's a house literally in the middle of the woods, like in a reserve. Yeah, in a, in a park or yeah, something like no other houses probably within a mile, and it's dark. It's a what he fully believes is a serial killer's house. There's like a bunch of abandoned children's bicycles out back. It's not creepy. Yeah, not creepy at all. The house is all dilapidated and like falling apart. So of course he walks in, and then oh, it turns out there is a serial killer there. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise, the Mulder, you got got. <laughs> How about so his friends were not in the house, but they. They saw him get taken, so they run, and they don't know where to go for a police station. Right, the they went way. the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, that was another um, point where Agent X comes into play. Yes. Which <laughs> I actually had that written down as like, that was, that was kind of a dick move, because he went into the house with a gun, and he's like, should I save him? He might see my face. So he just like calls an anonymous tip and then leaves. Yeah. Like he could have, the Mulder could have been dead. Yeah. yeah. And Agent X is like, eh, wash my hands of this. Yeah, I've got I'm a career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I put um, in that same scene, like that that Rat King. Yeah, yeah. That clip really freaked me out. I actually was like, what? So I, I did a Google search and images came up and I'm like, and I'm, I'm done. <laughs> it was one of those searches you regretted doing? Uh, yeah. I've, I've had a few over the years though. <laughs> That's up there. So X is in this house and he comes across a rat king, which if you don't know, it's a bunch of rats with their tails tied together. Um, and he talked about when he was younger, he had read a book, I think from the library, and his dad took the book and was saying, you know, rats don't do this, only monsters do this, humans do this. So that's how X knew that the person who lived in this house was really a monster, because he ties rats. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's it basically like there are no monsters, only people. Yes. But people are monsters, kind of a thing. I put a sad face next, next to the rat, rat king. Rat my, my note, it just it was nasty. But I thought it was worth mentioning because it was those it's those creepy little details that mm. I thought made this book so much better. Yeah, um I I liked the scene where they're breaking into the, the police station to yes. try and find the case files. Mm -hmm. It's it's Mulder and Phoebe. And previous to this, Mulder and Gimbal went to the police station. And they tried to talk to the the police, and they were rebuffed because you know, get out of here, kids. What do you know? Yeah. Don't don't you know, mess up my investigation, kind of a thing, and give me 
these useless tips. So they go back later, they find out when those detectives are going to be off shift, and they go back and they talk to somebody else. And I guess at some point Mulder devises a plan to go have Phoebe distract whoever they're talking to, and then he's going to go to the bathroom, quote unquote, mm -hmm. and look for evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then while he's looking for the bathroom, some guy walks by and is like, hey, are you looking for the bathroom? It's the fourth door on the left. And he's like, okay, thanks. Thanks, guy. And so he walks into the fourth door on the left, and it's the evidence room. And that was kind of a cool scene, I thought, because that was, I thought, pretty clearly Agent X mm -hmm. helping him out. And I don't know. It's, it, was, it was kind of neat how it played out. I, I liked the, like the, kind of the clandestine, like it was like a movie scene. Yeah. Like some guy in sunglasses and a, and a mustache is like, hey kid, why don't you try the fourth door on the left and then you never see him again. Yeah, yeah. And just, I, don't know, I just, I kind of like that scene. And I totally didn't realize that was X. X until later on when he had made a reference to, um, I think having to help him out at one point, and it's like, oh, that that was him. Yeah, I like I like that. I did kind of going off on that. Other things I like. I also have that I like that the case report and the autopsy report were written out, and you could read them as a report. That was kind of cool. So that just you know it makes things easier. Yeah. To comprehend. You when can it's you written like a report. You get to see what what Mulder's looking at mm -hmm. basically. So it, the report on the page looks like it would have been on the paper in his hand kind yeah. of a thing. That was, that was cool. And it's great because he's got a photographic memory. So all he has yeah, to do isn't is... Isn't that convenient? Yeah, he just goes in, he looks at everything real quick, and he knows later on he'll be able to go back and write everything down. There's... I, I'll, I'll talk about that later. There's like... I don't know if it qualifies as something that I didn't like, but something that I thought was kind of weird mm -hmm. where they fail to utilize his photographic memory in a way where it, it seemed obvious that they should have. Oh. Um, I guess I can I can do it now. Just Jump around, move dangerously. They're they're at Beyond Beyond, and maybe to set the scene, we should talk about what they're doing in Beyond Beyond, mm -hmm. and I'll I'll get to this to this later. Um, so they're at Beyond Beyond, which is where Corinda and Sunlight work from the previous book. It's like a, a new age, uh, hippie yoga meditation incense crystal healing kind of store, and they find some guy who's wearing a I think a motorcycle jacket mm -hmm. with a symbol that Mulder recognizes because it was the same symbol that was left on the body of a dead child by the serial killer. Mm -hmm. So they start talking to this guy, and they find out he's part of like this occult group. Um, what do they call themselves? The Illuminati? Something like that. Um, it's not Illuminati, but it's, it's, sort, yeah. of, it's sort of Illuminati-ish. Yeah. But anyway, they go to this meeting, they get invited to the meeting, and they find out that they're like practicing chaos magic, which is apparently more benevolent than it sounds like. It's the secret. If you want something hard enough, you believe. You believe you'll get it. Yeah. I want money. Clearly not enough, because I, I don't see any money appearing. <laughs> uh, so you must you must not truly want it. So anyway, yeah, they're in this meeting with the the chaos illuminates, and they they find out that that well, Mulder thinks that one of these guys must be in the meeting must be behind the murder because. The chaos symbol is on the wall. It's the same symbol that was recreated on on the the boy's body with like a bird and, and arrows. The dead bird with arrows sticking out of it. Eight arrows is the chaos symbol. Not a bird, but eight arrows. Fibonacci number. Thank you, Phoebe. Means yeah. everything. Thanks, Phoebe. Um, so anyway, yeah, he finds the symbol and he's like, okay, this is definitely there's a connection with this group and the murder. And then they find out that there's a member that was kicked out of the group, um, Earl Roy, as it turns out. And because I guess he was he was a little too intense for for the group, and they haven't seen him in a while, but they do still have his contact information on like a clipboard. Because it's a mailing list, because there were no computers. Right. So at that point, I was like, okay, that's easy. Mulder glances at the clipboard, and oh, they have yeah. his information. Instead, they concoct this elaborate plan where Phoebe pretends to throw out the trash and takes the clipboard with her, and then writes it down, and then brings it back and says, "Oh, sorry, this must have been in the like." Why not just have Mulder look at it? Yeah. Like, uh, the whole time they were doing that, I was like, are they serious? And, and he's even about to do it, and Phoebe's like, no, I got this. It's like, you know he has a photographic memory, right? Yeah, but it's Phoebe. She has to be amazing. I don't know. It was just like a weird, like, it, it seemed so easy to, to utilize that photographic memory and just, like, just let him glance at the clipboard instead of pretending to throw it out and then copying it on another piece of paper and then bringing it back, and it just, it was very convoluted. Mm -hmm. So that was that was the thing that I had. I didn't necessarily not like it, but I was like, why? Yeah, that was dumb. Why are they doing this? But that was a diversion, sorry, or a digression. It's uh, all good. I actually have one more thing I like. Shoot. The librarian. 
Yeah, I had that as well. How do you have such a horrible witch witch wicked witch librarian in Devil's Advocate and have like this really cool librarian wearing like a macrame choker and uh being cool in this book? Yeah, she was definitely the what Actually, I don't know if I'm making assumptions. Was it a her? Yes, a her. It was okay. I was like, am I am I stereotyping there? No, she was definitely depicted as like just kind of helpful, unflat, unflappable by their weird reference questions. I, I loved it. Like like poison birds and neumite. Yeah, She's yeah. like, oh yeah, cool. That's over here. Yeah. Did you know that uh, this poison's been used to kill this many people? Yeah. Did you want? Did you want to learn about alchemy as well? Or, yeah. yeah. So, so Mulder goes up to ask her questions, and he's not sure if she's a librarian. And then he gives her all this stuff, and she's just like, "Oh, blah blah blah." He's like, "Oh yeah, totally the librarian." I'm like, "Yay!" I think it was, it was kind of implied that she might also play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, because Gimbal. Yeah, Gimbal says something about that, and someone, or he says something, and then someone's like, "Oh, he plays Dungeons and Dragons," and the librarian like pauses and is about to say something, and then like thinks better of it. So I was like, I don't know. I I, I assume that that was like, you know, I'll just leave that alone for now, but. She at least, I don't know, knew about the the game enough to, to kind of have a finger on, on the pulse of, of nerd culture back then, which was kind of cool. So our takeaway is DC librarians are much cooler than Krager, Maryland librarians. Definitely. No. Do you have anything else interesting? Because I covered everything I wrote down. I'm, I'm skimming through my notes. Um, you mentioned Mulder's investigation of the creepy Woods House, mm-hmm. which was very reminiscent of... Uh, Scully's investigation of like the ghost house. Yeah, it's like I, they made the same choice, which is why I don't know. Like, what are you what are you trying to prove? As an adult, like I would never go into. Some <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. As an adult, I wouldn't do it. As a kid, I don't think I would have done it either. No, but no. There's a lot of stuff that that Mulder did in this book that I don't think I would have done. But I'm not Mulder, so I'm I'm, I'm not a, an FBI profiler. Listen, we're not cool enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Apparently. Um, I already mentioned breaking into the police station for the case files, navigating with maps and no GPS. I thought it was funny. They had yeah. to do that a couple of times and they got lost. Um, there were a number of Star Wars references. Yes. I love count. I think there were like five or six. Um, Gimbal had a couple of t-shirts, although it might have been the same t-shirt because in one, in one scene it references Gimbal wearing a Star Wars t-shirt and another references him wearing a Han Solo t-shirt. Maybe he just has the one Star Wars t-shirt. I don't know. Um, he does have a Star Wars poster in his bedroom. And a Gimble. replica model of the that, That's the Enterprise. That's Star yeah. Trek. Oh. Yeah, but you said Star Trek and Star Wars. No, this is just Star Wars. Okay. Star Trek is a separate Sorry. thing entirely. Yeah, we can talk about that next. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, so at, at one point, Mulder's mom is talking to Mulder and says that she, she met Phoebe, who is explaining why she thinks like Star Wars technology will be developed within their lifetimes. That was another reference. Uh, she also, at one point, is rocking a, a, a Princess Leia hairstyle. So she has like buns, and Mulder describes it as her version of the Princess Leia buns. buns. Yeah, Um, but you know, yeah, Enterprise is Star Trek. I know. Okay. I watched those too. Or were you trying to combine? I I thought we were smooshing them all, all all of the stars together. That simply won't do. It was interesting. I thought. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Where where they were in the police station, and, and Phoebe gives the false names. The guy that they're talking to is wearing a Battlestar Galactica Galactica t-shirt and Mulder's like well I hope he doesn't watch Star Trek I I didn't realize maybe there was like a rivalry back in the day yeah I'd watched both I don't know Um, but she gives Mulder's name as Will Kirk Will Kirk which is obviously William Shatner plays James Kirk yeah um, in the first Star Trek and she she names herself something something Presley Ellen Presley I think maybe yeah because she likes uh, she thinks Elvis is alive alive. but it's funny because when she names him Will Kirk, Mulder's like, oh, God, I hope he's not a Star Trek fan because that's going to be pretty obvious. And apparently he's not because he's on the Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica camp. That's a hard name for me to say today. Yeah. I've got Battlestars and Galacticas. And you sound like me. <laughs> I hope that's a good thing. Well, I trip over my words a lot. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that, I think, was all that I had for stuff that was interesting or I liked. I kind of liked, uh, we talked about the, the book already, Stormbringer. yeah. It was it was kind of cool how they they had that be such a, a central piece to it, and I like the idea of the law versus chaos kind of a thing. Yeah, I feel like things we liked. It's really been like a love fest this entire time. So I've hit almost. Start complaining about it then. Everything. I do. I do have a couple things I didn't like. 
I do as well, but I think I've already mentioned them, so you should go first. Well, I mean, once again, Phoebe. I, I don't know. So perfect. She's so perfect. Um, and I think I think my biggest problem with this book, and it might just be because of the authors, like Mulder came off as so strong of a character. He didn't doubt himself. Like, he just attacked. And Scully, I felt, I, I felt she just came off so weak and... And I'm not going to pursue this line of stuff anymore because look how awful it was, and I'm only going to focus on medicine. And well, I mean, she was also younger. True. She was also having crazy visions that she wasn't sure she could trust, and Mulder does have the benefit of having a photographic memory, so it's pretty easy for him to be certain about things. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I feel like Dana's book could have been so much cooler I because she sees visions, and you know, she sees angels and demons. Yeah, I yeah, I didn't love that about that book as I mentioned earlier. But so like, I mean, guess as as a female who is reading these books and will recommend them to younger females reading these books, it kind of it kind of hurts that the book that focuses on the female is so weak, and then the book that focuses on the male not only is it strong, but the only female you put in it is perfect. Like, where are her flaws? So that was my biggest issue. I guess that's more of an issue with the. The series as a whole. Uh, yeah, I, I could say it. Um, My girl talk. Sorry. No, that, that's fine. The things that I, I didn't like, I've already mentioned. I, I thought that Gimbal's character was really just like I played D and D, and I like Star Wars and Star Trek, and that was kind of his only character. But as you mentioned, he might have just been a bridge to the major. Yeah. Well, I feel like maybe we should have spent more time talking about because we we both said that hey, I really like the major, but then we. We kind of glossed over that. I can talk about the major more. Um, all right. The other things that I didn't like uh, were, as I said, the elaborate ruse to get the contact info when Mulder could have just looked at the the clipboard. Yeah. Like easily. Yeah. Um, and then Mulder showed this, the same instincts as Scully basically when he went into like a creepy dark serial ha- killer house by himself in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night. Why? I don't know. So that was uh, that's that's kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> as I said, I thought it was. It was pretty messed so up. Dumb. <laughs> it was pretty messed up when when Agent X is like, he bursts into that house too. He's just seen Mulder get abducted. He's got a gun. He's like, no, I'm just gonna call the police and walk away. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't not like that. I just was like, okay, Re- revealing what kind of a character this guy is. Yeah. No, no emotional attachment at all there. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And I think he says like he knows what the organization would want him to do, and he knows what his boss would want him to do, and his. His boss is the smoking man, and the yeah. smoking man obviously would have wanted Mulder saved. But he uh, he went with his uh, his organization. Uh, he said like he worked hard to get where he was, and he didn't want to jeopardize his position in the organization, and he wasn't about to do that just mm-hmm. to save one kid. Did you read the acknowledgments at the back of this book? I don't think so. So, Cammy Garcia and her acknowledgments, she. Thanks, Jonathan. I did read Mayberry that actually. Now that you mentioned it, yeah. For, I guess it was his idea. Yes, for him coming up with this, and I guess she wrote a short story that maybe he compiled in like an anthology. I didn't look, get a chance to look it up, um, but she says like no one could have written Scully's book better. <laughs> like mm, I disagree. <laughs> maybe you could have. Yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe you should have done both, Cammy. Yeah, because yours was great, and also like when Scully's book ended, I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm I'm good. good. I'm done. But. I felt like Agent of Chaos left me just wanting more. Like, where is this other absent? They definitely, killer? yeah. They they ended on much more of a, not a cliffhanger, but unfinished business. With yeah, with uh, with the Devil's Advocate, it clearly wasn't like the end of the story, but also it kind of it kind of put a bow on that chapter of the story. Yeah. But with this one, there's like an open investigation. Mulder's just given the profile. They're like, this is going to be so helpful. There's a serial killer still out there, yeah. so it's definitely more unresolved stuff at the end of this. But again, I don't, I don't know if they're going to do like a, a series for both characters or. And who's going to write them? Are they going to are they going to keep writing, or are they going to have other people write? And if they're going to keep writing, I don't think I'll read Mayberries. Yeah, I don't know that I'd feel like I had to go back to the Scully saga no. either, although I might pick up the Mulder one. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the show. I mean, he, he is more interesting, and but I also thought it was always Scully that made him so interesting because you can't be all like 
crazy conspiracy theories. You need someone to kind of really in. Yeah, we need like the straight man, I guess, yeah. or woman in this case. Uh, on that note, did you think that Mulder was relatable in this book? Yes, I did. I liked that he wanted to help people. Um, he wants to do right by his missing sister. Like I thought these were qualities that you can relate to. Not, I don't have a photographic memory. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but but I liked I liked his character. I was I was thinking about this question, and I feel like this might be operator malfunction on my part. Maybe I just don't read books to relate to characters, or maybe I, I don't know because like I don't find myself constantly looking to walk a mile in a character's shoes when I'm reading a book. It might just be how I read because mm. I didn't feel much. In like um, I'm relating to this character, I didn't really feel it for Scully. I didn't really feel it for Mulder. But again, I think that might just be more on me because yeah. I tend to read books as stories about other people, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't know that I I look for opportunities because I know in the last thing when you you started mentioning things, I was I was actually like, oh, that makes sense. I can relate to that. So like Scully was more relatable than I thought she was initially. Yeah. But that's just not really how I usually. For me personally, read a story. Maybe I don't know if that's weird. No, I, so I mean, I, I guess I approach this more um, as like a teen librarian because that's what I was for most of my career. And you, teens want books that they're going to relate to. They want characters. They want to see themselves. Yes, they want characters that represent themselves, and that's like a big push right now. So that's why when we do this podcast, I like to ask if you think you could relate to them and I mean obviously like I read I've, I've been on a kick with like serial killer books lately and I don't relate to serial killers um I find them interesting but with the teen stuff I, I do look for some sort of relatableness especially when you're recommending something to someone who um you know, might be more of a reluctant reader just something yeah. that'll pique their interest if they can't grasp you know, like the essence of a character, they're not gonna. I, yeah, maybe it's just like a glass half empty versus half full kind of a thing. But I, I'm full. I, I must be empty because <laughs> I tend to I tend to focus on the things that are not relatable, and I'm like, oh, this character, eh, I didn't really relate. But then, as I said in the past, you you've brought things up, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess that's relatable. But that's just maybe I'm just reading it as an adult instead of a young adult, and it's for a, that reason, it's a different way to read. I just I just read it as a story, like an entertaining pastime yeah. and I'm not really looking to you know vibe with a character so Alexis and I discussed this many moons ago um, I tend to prefer like science fiction fantasy young adult novels because when you read those if the character is written well enough they're almost ageless whereas when you read something that's set um, <clears throat> contemporary like okay or here's the high school drama um, right. It's easier for me to relate to a character that seems ageless, because they can be any age, and obviously I am far from a teenager. Um, but you, uh, I, I still think you need to find something, like some kind of common ground with. Yeah, and no, as I said, I think I, I recognize this as, as operator malfunction on my part, and it's just really not how I read books, and maybe that's to my own detriment. I don't know. I don't think so. Obviously, not everyone reads the same way. So. Clearly. Uh, what did you think about the angst level? Oh, I thought he was a one. He was a Hazel Grace. There was, like, no angst. See, again, I kind of I could have gone in a couple of directions. Um, I can definitely see the low, but he's pretty stricken with guilt about his sister. And he can't sleep. He fixates constantly blaming himself. He's pretty morose at times. Um, but that's really kind of when he's triggered by specific images or you know, events that make him think of his sister. So it was kind of a situation like Scully, like all these elements exist, but they didn't really seem to impact her very much. Mm-hmm. So I, I could have seen it going either way, but I had him like a, a, a two-ish. Yeah, he, um, he he wasn't really screaming at anyone. His dad a couple times, yeah, they got into some guy, loud arguments. That. Uh, like I said, the older I get, like the less tolerance I have for angsty teen drama. Like that okay. can make a, they can like make him break a book. Me. Maybe I just don't have the experience with those books because I haven't read. You read more teen books. I, I I need to read more teen books. So with the tropes, I totally thought of your Scooby Doo trope again, <laughs> but <laughs> but I um that absent parent trope I think 
spoke most to me because oh yeah Mulder's dad's just not around so he can do whatever he wants Phoebe's parents just let her go flying out to see him which kind of blew my mind that oh here go yeah, she's up like 17 yeah. or something so yeah I'm just gonna go see my best friend who's a guy and spend time at his house where he lives halfway across the country yeah with an absent dad so she had no parents holding her back he had no parents in theory Gimbal really didn't have Gimbal interestingly was more of a caretaker of his father than his yes. father was of him yes like I mean, they're pretty explicit about that. Like, he has to take care of his dad because his dad is nuts. Yeah. Um, with all the, the crazy, you know, security clearance levels that he makes him do. And, like, he, he unplugs the phone so no one has to call the house. And they have passwords to get in the house. He's got, like, the bike locks on his refrigerator. Yeah, so he can get to food. Got to drink that bottled water. Yeah. I love it. Um, but so, oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, I, I agree that the missing parent was definitely... A, uh, a a trope that was was pretty prominent. Um, I actually thought not as much Scooby Doo in this one because they got very tangible help from adults mm-hmm. this time, maj- mainly AG, uh, Agent X um, when he helps Mulder. Well, he helps Mulder twice. Yeah. He calls in the tip to the police that probably saves his life. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely saves his life because he's about to get Murdered. murked in the in the basement. And then he also helps him in the police station finding the clues. So I thought there was more active involvement by adults than there was in, in the Scully book where every adult was clueless. Yes. Um, so not as much to me the Scooby-Doo as, as the Scully one. Mm-hmm. Um, quirky best friend was definitely yeah. prevalent yeah. because Gimbal was just a silly quirky des- best friend with a weird dad to boot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the absent parent one was so strong too because if you look at Scully's book and I mean she gets grounded like her her parents are so like in her life yeah whereas Fox doesn't his dad doesn't care no can't be bothered doesn't know forgets that Phoebe's over yeah it's just just, that was just an interesting also because you know I don't know maybe because Scully's a girl like her dad's like and then Mulder's a boy it's like oh you do whatever have your girlfriend over sort of Girlfriend. Yeah, um, girlfriend. I also thought that the insider trope was with the major. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because he really, I feel, introduces Mulder to that whole scene, and like he's got like his secret contact Sergio, and like <gasps> I love I've, Sergio in his mom's basement. Yeah, but I feel like that kind of mirrors what you were talking about with like Mulder's lone gunman later. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt like the major served as an insider that introduced Mulder to like the the. I don't think Mulder bought the whole UFO stuff, but later he will yes which i thought was crazy because i swore in the show he thought aliens kidnapped his sister from the get-go so maybe that's just something that he he learns later i mean they make it pretty clear that it's the fbi who's taken her yeah it's syndicate i think okay sorry they're like an organization within the fbi or are they separate uh, they're separate is the smoking man not fbi i thought he was just i don't know he's maybe he's both okay well i don't know but some shadowy government organization is responsible for taking Mulder's sister so they can have something over Mulder's father mm-hmm. because they need him to do some unspecified thing for the State Department. His dad was annoying, wasn't he? I'm very important, and I yeah. am constantly being sent places because no one else can handle what I can handle. Hey, he was mostly off-screen, but he, he wasn't... It's annoying. I, I think three or four characters are like, you know, Mulder, your dad really is a jerk. <laughs> like, Phoebe says that. I think the agent wrestler says that or like someone else says that like wow yeah he's actually just a jerk so yeah Uh, before we move on is there anything else you want to talk about with the major because i know we both liked him and we mentioned earlier that we didn't talk about him enough i don't know i mean there's kind of a thing like a spoiler at the end maybe do you want to leave one spoiler i would like to yeah i'd like to not mention okay that um i i liked his conspiracy theories like I like how he had everything like on his wall and sorted by serial killer, and then there's the FBI or the UFO section. Yeah, and there's so at one point there's like a clue in all these pictures, and yeah, Mulder's he found he found the symbol of law. Yeah, Mulder's like, how did you see this, and how has no one else seen this? And the yeah, major's like, people don't look for this, and I think that really helped develop who like Mulder would be in the future. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I, but he was so quirky. He had like a mop he was using as a rifle. And 
<laughs> at the window. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, he person. Did they say why he was discharged? I guess just he kind of snapped mentally. I think after his wife died, he snapped. Yeah, he was in the Air Force. Um, his wife's car drove off a bridge. He thinks it's because he saw aliens. Little gray man. Yeah, and this was all part of the cover-up. And he becomes obsessed with the book that his wife was reading, Stormbringer, which plays a pretty big part in, in the book, Agent of Chaos. Um, and yeah, he's like a former, I don't know, Air Force colonel or something. I forget his rank. But he like refers to his son as airman and makes him like follow military protocols. And they have passwords that they require to to get in the house. Mulder needs clearance before he can visit Gimbal. He didn't want to give Phoebe clearance. Yeah. But then she solved the magic cube, and then she got clearance. Oh, that was actually kind of absurd, too. Literally has never seen a Rubik's Cube and solves it in, like, 12 seconds. She was perfect. Like, it's really not that easy. Like, I don't know. I know that people can solve it really fast. I used to know how to solve Rubik's Cubes. I haven't done it in a while. But, I mean, it took me, like, a minute at least. Just And I knew how to do it because there's, like, moves that you have to do. It's like, it must have been pretty close to finished if you solved it in, like, 12 or 15, like, whatever it was. But that was that was suitably impressive, yeah, for her to get clearance. So. Any other thoughts? Um, I guess I I rated the book a B. I gave it a B plus. I consider it B plus, but I I feel like I'm a little stingy with my my That's ratings. Fine. You have to you have to impress me to get a get a B plus. Certainly a full step above Scully's book, I which I gave a, a C. I gave that one a B, and now I want to drop my give it a C. Yeah, because there was such a big. There's, yeah, there's a, a clear, clear difference. But if 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 you're a fan of X Files or if you're a fan of uh, teens, you know, solving mysteries, like I would definitely recommend um, Agent of Chaos over Devil's Advocate. Yeah, I mean, if you can get through it, there's a little bit to be gained by reading Devil's Advocate first, because then you have that background in Krager, mm -hmm. you've met Corinda, Angelo, Sunlight. So there's like three chapters in the middle of Agent of Chaos where I feel like you get more out of it if you've read The Devil's Advocate, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily worth it just to go for that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you're gonna read them both, I would say read Scully first. And we'll buy the graphic novels when they come out too for the system. I'm sure. Later on in the year. Yeah. All right, so if you like Agent of Chaos, you have a recommendation. I do. Um, as I, as I alluded to earlier, we do have a couple books by Michael Moorcock, and this is not my official recommendation, but I'll just kind of throw it out mm -hmm. there. If you're interested in learning more about um, his character Elric or mm -hmm. the Agents of Chaos and you know the Eternal Champion and all that, uh, you can find those in our catalog. I actually I feel like my, my recommendation is a bit of a stretch. Um, I went for The Golden Compass by Ooh. Philip Pullman, okay. uh, book one of his Dark Materials. The tie, was, I figured there's like missing children, child abductions, um, you know, mysteries that are revealed. It is a younger protagonist, um, but I really like that trilogy. Um, so that was where I was going to go. So you kind of get, yeah, there, there's some mystery involved and they're like, you know, abducted children and it's a, a child has to kind of figure out what's happened to other children. Uh -huh. So in that way, I, I, it was kind of similar, but I, it's a stretch. I like it. Um. <laughs> I recommend it. I am not a serial killer by Dan Wells. Okay. Which was amazing. Um, it's about a young man who is a teenager. It's a it's adult, um, but he's a teenager and he has sociopathic tendencies and he realizes this, so he comes up with all these rules to keep himself from murdering people. Um, and then murders start happening in his town and his mom runs um, a funeral home, so he gets to help with like the embalmings. And he realizes there's something wrong and no one's taking care of it. So he decides that he's going to forget some of his rules and he's going to catch the serial killer. So Dexter. Yeah, but it's got a um, it's got a twist. Okay. So if if you go and read this, don't look it up because I don't want you to spoil the amazingness. Um, and it's a trilogy, and that trilogy ended, and I was like, don't stop. And it took him a couple years, but um, Dan Wells is now writing a second trilogy, same character, just a year older. Um, Turns out I am a serial killer. Yeah. It was, oh my gosh, they're amazing. So I read the first two in that one, and I think book three just came out, so I have to read that sometime soon. I love them. What uh, What do you have coming up next month? 
So next month, I have Stephanie, um, who's a teen librarian over at our Gloucester Township branch. She's coming over to podcast with me, and we are going to read Dreamland Burning by Jennifer Latham. So something completely different. Makes sense. Should be good. Um, I look forward to hearing it. Thank you. We'll have a link up to the book on our website, www.camdencountylibrary.org slash Y-A-A-H hyphen podcast. Um, you know, feel free to come in, talk to us. Some of us like talking about YA books among others, so I'm sure Ryan has very interesting things to recommend. I wouldn't bet on it. No? I don't know. I mean, you can ask, and I'll... I'll make a recommendation, but he, I, I, I want to... a reference librarian. He should be able to give you something good. Well, it just means I can find something good for you. It doesn't mean I have it ready to go. That's a skill. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, anything else? Uh, no, that's that's all I've got. Thank you so much for podcasting with me twice this month. Thank you for having me. Ryan will be back um, probably towards the end of this year, beginning of next year, and he'll pick the book next time. Well, I'm sure everyone's holding their breath. <laughs> It'll be fabulous. Um, and I guess that is about it for me. So this is Kristen signing off. Ryan out.